If you would, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. We will begin there this morning. I'll add my welcome to you all. Thank you all for being here. I am constantly um, being proved that God's ways are higher than, than my ways. Last weekend was Memorial Day weekend and bright and sunny and we had a hard time getting here because of the traffic out on Cortez Road. So this morning it was rainy and kind of dreary and the weekend after Memorial Day I said probably won't be very many people here today. Constantly being humbled by <laughs> God's wisdom and God's ways and I appreciate every, each and every one of you being here. So glad to uh, to see you here on this Lord's Day, glad that we have the opportunity to worship our God together. I hope you'll find this congregation is, is trying to do just that, to serve um, our Lord Jesus Christ and the things that we do and the things that we say. So we, that is our aim, and we hope you are edified by our efforts this morning. Here in Exodus chapter 17, as Jack read for us this morning, we have a very familiar story. We have a, a story here. Um, we probably remember, remember well, we've probably heard this in our lifetime several times, as a child, even in our Bible studies. Uh, as we, we're coming up, we heard about this story, read this story, and we point to it as an example of several things. So one of those things being God's providence. We see God's providence at work here in caring for his children. When they needed water, he provided that water for them. We see this as a demonstration of Moses' leadership. We see him um, on behalf of the people crying out, what shall we do? He, he was worried, quite honestly, that he might be stoned, that the people were going to turn on him. But we see this as his leadership. And, and later on, when we, we point back to this when Moses disobeyed God's command and struck the rock rather than speaking to it. And we know the consequences that came from that and Moses not entering into the promised land. Um, we see this as uh, one of the many times the children of Israel complained about their circumstances. Even in the context of uh, all the miraculous things that were going on around them, even in the demonstration of God's love and God's providence for his children, we still see them complaining about the situation that they were in. But it's verse 7 that I want to focus on um, this morning and and lead into the remainder of our lesson. Verse 7 says, And he, being Moses, named the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel, and because they had tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? The main reason for their testing and quarreling with the Lord was their lack of faith. Even though they had seen the, the ten plagues in Egypt, even though they'd seen the waters of the Red Sea parted and they, and they crossed over and, on dry land. Even the, shortly before this, the bitter waters at Merah were sweetened so that they could drink. And they'd seen manna come down from heaven and, and be there on the ground for them to, to, bake, to bake bread in the mornings and the, and the quail that was provided for them for meat in the evenings. Even in the face of all this, they lacked faith. And that's demonstrated by their asking, is the Lord among us or not? Now, it's easy for us to look back and say, wow, I can't believe these people would ask such a question. Of course he is. Look at the things that are going on around us. 
But still, their faith was lacking. And they asked, is the Lord among us or not? So this morning, I wanted us to examine the kind of faith that we need to have as Christians, as children of God. What kind of faith do we need to have in this day and age? So first of all, let's consider that the faith that we ought to have is a, is a rational faith. John 8, verse 32 says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Our foundation has a, has a simple, our truth, our, I'll get it right in a minute, our faith has a foundation in simple truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And God has provided us with that truth through his word. He's given us the things that we need to know and to understand in order to build our faith. It's very simple. We don't have to speculate. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to guess. We don't have to go through any kind of mental gymnastics, if you will, to, to arrive at our faith. He's given it to us. Simple passages like Matthew 22, beginning in verse 36. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor like yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Simple. Jesus, what's the, what's, what's the great command? Love God with all your strength, soul, and heart and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Simple. We need not overcomplicate something our Lord has explained to us in such simple terms. So our faith is based on a knowledge of the truth. And that truth can be summed up in those simple two things that our Lord taught us. To love God with all our heart and our soul and all our mind and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Is there 100% proof that God exists? Let me ask you this question. If there was 100% proof that God exists, where would faith be? What would faith be relegated to if we were shown, if we knew for 100% that God exists? Hebrews, 1 and verse, or Hebrews 11 and verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We're studying right now in Hebrews, and we've arrived here at chapter 11. The great chapter on faith. Were you 100% sure? Let me ask you this question. Were you 100% sure that you would arrive here at the Cortez Church of Christ when you left the house this morning? If you really had to think about it, you'd probably say, well, I wasn't really 100% sure. I was pretty sure. I've done it a lot of times. I've done it many, many years. Right, Junie? Come here many years. I could be pretty assured that I was going to get here today. But if you really had to think about it and all the circumstances that might befall you, like last week, we had so much traffic out here on Cortez Road. Some of you probably thought you weren't going to get here. But you were 100% committed to being here. And so you made a rational decision based on less than 100% of a guarantee. We have an overwhelming evidence for the existence of God. So we make the decisions to serve him based on the evidence that we have. But we cannot discount faith in this equation. 
What do we say there? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In Hebrews 11, further down in verse 6, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Faith is in this equation. Without it, it is impossible to please God. And there are some things we can't see. And that's where our faith comes in. We must believe that he is. I am who I am. God told Moses there in Exodus chapter 3. We must believe that God is. That's where our faith begins. Believing that God is. And the faith that we have is not a blind faith. It's not a blind faith. We have passages such as Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Look with me over in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We have overwhelming evidence of the existence of our God. We can look at passages like one we just read there from Psalm 1. The heavens are declaring the glory of the Lord. And the firmament shows his handiwork. Here in Romans chapter 1, beginning of verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image of the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. The things that we see around us are evidence of our creator. The very world in which we live in. Our God is seen in the world around us. And he is just beyond that. Paul speaking of the Areopagus there in Acts chapter 17 says that God created everything. He created everything that we see, even, even us, and set the boundaries of our habitation. And why did he do that? He did that so that he hoped that man would seek him out. Paul says, though, that he is not far from each one of us. He is not far from each one of us. So the things that we see around us, the, the creation, speaks of God's handiwork, tells us of a divine creator, and he is right there. And he's done this so that we would seek him out in hopes that we would find him. And he is not far from each one of us. So our faith is what bridges that gap. It bridges the gap between what we see around us and the God that is right there. Secondly, in addition to our faith being a rational faith, our faith needs to be an earnest faith. If we believe the Lord, if we believe that God exists, as we just mentioned, that's fine. That's where it begins. But there's more to it than that. 
After all, James 2 and verse 19 says, even the demons believe and shudder. It's not enough just to believe. We must believe earnestly. Jude 3 says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once handed down to the saints. Contend earnestly for the faith. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 7, But just as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in love, we inspired in you. We see that you abound in the gracious work also. All earnestness. Yes, we are to believe in God. We are to believe that he is. What it says there in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But we must believe in him earnestly. We must believe in a risen Savior. We must believe in Jesus Christ. Look over in chapter 10 of Romans. Chapter 10 of Romans, beginning of verse 5. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks thus. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. With the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We believe in a risen Savior, a raised and glorified Jesus Christ. That's how we have faith earnestly and believing in Jesus Christ. What else needs to be said? Where else will we go to find our salvation? It's a strong belief in Jesus Christ and no other. Matthew 12, verse 30, He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather scatters. You're either with the Lord or you're not. You either believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God or you don't. Our faith needs to be earnest. We need to have an earnest faith in what we believe. And lastly, along with being rational and earnest, our faith needs to be unwavering. From our initial text there, we saw what wavering faith looks like. We saw the children of Israel. We saw as their faith wavered, it caused them to question, is the Lord among us or not? In spite of all the things that they had right before them, all the things that they had witnessed, their faith still wavered. And we see that over and over and over again with the children of Israel. We should learn from their mistakes. 
That's what's so wonderful about being a Christian. In this day and age, we have all these accounts written down for us. We can hold it in our hand and we can look. We can turn back there to Exodus chapter 17 and look and see what the children of Israel did. And we can avoid that kind of mistake. We should learn from their mistakes and never doubt in God or his promises. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Steadfast, immovable. We need to be unwavering in our faith. Hebrews 10 verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. We've been studying the book of Hebrews, and we looked and saw how God made promises to Abraham and how he fulfilled those promises. And not only promises, but he swore by these things. And having no one else higher, he swore by himself. And we see those promises made to Abraham come true and all culminating in Jesus Christ. Unwavering faith. I'd like for us to consider... John the Baptist. So we're talking about unwavering faith. Now some say that John's faith wavered. Look with me in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Beginning verse 1, it says, And it came about that when Jesus had finished giving instruction to his twelve disciples... He departed from there to teach and preach in the cities. Now when John in prison heard the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Does that sound familiar? Does that kind of sound like, is the Lord among us or not? After all, Messiah means Lord with us. It has been said that John, being in prison, and losing hope that Jesus was the Messiah, began to lose his faith. The other side of the argument said that this was the way that John chose to show his disciples who Jesus really was. He sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him if he was the chosen one, if he was the one that they had been expecting, or should they look for another. Brethren, I'll tell you, we're not told either way what was in John's mind. We don't know. But consider what we are told. Look back in Matthew chapter 3. A few chapters back in chapter 3. Beginning verse 13 here, we have Matthew's account of the baptism of Jesus. Matthew 3, beginning verse 13, says, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have no need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? As we read these passages, I want you to think about John's faith. The words that are spoken here. Think about John's faith. But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it for this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. And after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened. 
And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. And behold, a voice of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Think about, as, again, think about John's faith as we're going through this. But think about John in this particular instance. John saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove and light on Jesus. John heard a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Where do you think John's faith is right now this, at this instance? Think his faith is strong? He saw and heard, saw the Spirit of God, heard a voice from heaven. Look over in John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1. Verse 15, John 1, verse 15. John, the Baptist here talking, talking about, John the Baptist, bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Where do you think John's faith is right here? Understanding his place. Understanding who Jesus is. Look over in chapter 3. Excuse me, chapter, uh, verse 19 of chapter 1. And this is the witness of John, when the Jews sent him to the priests and the Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, and he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said to them, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. They then said to him, Who are you, so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had, sent him from the, they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them and said, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan while John was baptizing. Pick up in verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And I did not recognize him, but in order that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John bore witness, saying, I have beheld the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and remained upon him. And I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Where do you think John's faith is right now? I think his faith is pretty strong. It sounds like it to me. From what he's saying, he understands his place and coming, preparing the ways of the Lord, make straight his paths. And he says there, culminating verse 34, that this is the Son of God. Did John's faith waver? We don't see it wavering here. 
Look over in chapter 3 now. Beginning of verse 22. Again, think about John's faith. And after, beginning of verse 22 of chapter 3 of John. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And there he was spending time with them and baptizing. And John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was much water there. And they were coming and were being baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. So understand the time frame in which we're talking here. John has not yet been thrown into prison. Verse 25. There arose therefore a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have borne witness, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it had been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And so this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. Verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He is on the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard, what he has seen and heard, of, he, of that he bears witness, and no man receives his witness. He who has received his witness has set his seal to this, that God is true. For him whom God, he, he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things to his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Where do you think John's faith is at this point? He understands. He says, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. He understood his role in proclaiming the gospel message. Did John's faith waver? Brethren, you'll have to make that decision for yourself. All I can present to you is what Scripture says. But consider the message that comes out of all this. Consider what we learn and consider what we have in this day and age as the example to us. Just as the children of Israel back in chapter 17 of Exodus, we have the account of John the Baptist and his mission and where his faith was and what he understood about the Son of God. Look back at verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life what we've been talking about, isn't it? Faith in Jesus Christ. John understood that. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life. Remember what we said, he, he either believe in Jesus or you don't. You either sow or you scatter. You either gather or you scatter. It's no middle ground. If you don't believe in the, the Son, the wrath of God abides on you forever. The message is to have faith in God. To have faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we have that faith by believing in the gospel. We have faith by hearing what we have been told, what we've been shown, what God has given to us in his word. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Over in John chapter 20, familiar couple of verses here that we have. John chapter 20, verse 30. Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also preserved, uh, performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But look what verse 31 says. But these have been written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Think about the message that comes out of what John the Baptist was saying. He understood who, who Jesus was. He was the Son of God. He understood that in him was everlasting life. So we can debate whether or not his faith wavered. But we know he knew his mission. And we know that he knew who Jesus Christ was. And because of that, we have this wonderful example of faith. We have a wonderful example of understanding who Jesus Christ was and is. Our faith is to remain firm until the end, steadfast, immovable, unwavering. So we ask the question now, what is the condition of your faith? Do you have a faith that is grounded in rational thought? God is not asking us to believe in myths and fairy tales. God has given us creation all around us to show us his power and his might. And he is right there with hopes that we will reach for him. He is not far from each one of us. Is the faith that we have earnest? Is it an earnest faith? Do we just not simply believe? Is, is there more to it than that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? John did. The Ethiopian eunuch did. And lastly, brethren, is your faith unwavering? Do you have an unwavering faith? Do you hold fast? Are you immovable? Are you holding on to the faith that you have been taught? This is the faith that we have, brethren. We've been studying in the book of Hebrews, we understand. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of Jesus Christ, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Hebrews 10, verse 26, but a certain fiery expectation, a consuming God. Our faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Do we believe it? Even the demons believe. We need to have the earnest faith and the earnest belief and understanding that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Believe that He is. We need to repent. We need to understand that this belief causes us to make a change in our life. God is declaring all men everywhere to repent from Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. Having done that, we've got to confess. We've got to make that confession. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In Matthew 10 and verse 32, he says, that Everyone therefore who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. That confession is so key and so important in our life as a Christian. And then we are baptized. We go down into the water. We come up out of the water. A new creature. Putting away that old man of sin. 
washing away our sins in baptism. Mark 16, verse 16, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. God adds us to the church, his church. We become a part of this body, the Lord's church, the church of Christ. And we go on living faithfully, immovable, steadfast, unwavering. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Revelation 2 and verse 10. Where are you in that spectrum? Is your faith steadfast? Are you immovable? If you have not obeyed the gospel, you can do that now. We have things ready. If as a child of God you've stumbled, if your faith is wavering, if you need the prayers of this congregation, we can pray for you and we can help you. You can let your requests be known by coming forward as we stand to encourage you.